isn't that good? And isn't it simple? Yeah, thank you. I'm going to ask Diane and Barb to come forward at this time. Uh, Diane and Barb are volunteers with Days uh, for Lives. And uh, as they're coming, I just want to say that I read an article this week of a Kenyan girl who uh, was in school and uh, didn't have access to the tools, to the supplies, and her uniform was stained, and the teacher made fun of her, and she committed suicide. So, you know, when, when we talk about suicide in Saskatchewan, um, there's lots of different reasons, and this is one big one somewhere else. And I'm so delighted that you're on stage here today, coming to the light beside me. And uh, uh, these partners, we have given them space here in our church to, to do their work. And so what do you do? Well, just across the hall, we have a room we are so very, very thankful for. And this is where our program starts. We have maybe 25 volunteers who show up twice a month. Uh, we have bolts of fabric, sewing machines, sergers, and we start sewing. Uh, we make oh, up to a thousand a couple of times we have hit of, of pads that are used in our kits. And uh, these women dutifully come every month to help us out. Good. So it's not complicated, anybody can do it. What can we do to help? We're always looking for donations of money and also of fabric. We use cotton and flannel and, and we want to pass it on to the girls and then sometimes we hope that they can start a business over there making them themselves. So we're trying to make yeah. it a snowball effect. Perfect. This is something really simple but very profound. It can help girls stay in school and get their education so they're not vulnerable in life. And it can actually save a life. So we're highlighting our partners to let you know that there are some great organizations in our city that are doing some phenomenal things and we can help. And so uh, if you do have fabric, you can donate it. If you want to donate time, you can do that as well. Can men come? They can. We haven't had any yet. <laughs> yeah. Well. Maybe they could fix sewing machines. Yes, repair yeah, men. That's what we need. I think they can cut bolts of <laughs> fabric too. So this is not just a sexist thing. No. Everybody can be involved. So thank you, ladies, thank for what you. you're doing. God bless you. Thank, thank you for you. being here today. Thanks, thank you. So Barb and Diane will be at the back if you have uh, questions. All of our partners will have displays on the last Sunday of October. We want you to see the things that they do. We want you to talk to these partners. Hopefully some of you will volunteer. And also we'll be uh, contributing to our partners as well. And if you have your app, 
uh, your smartphone and download cdac.ca slash app. You'll see our app is available. And when you go to the home of, of the app, you'll find Impact YXE. And there are all the ways in which you can contribute, giving food, uh, giving gifts, giving time, and our partner contact. So all of the information is there. If you don't have a smartphone, go to the desk and we'll help you understand uh, some of the things that are available to you. We're going to prepare ourselves now for the morning offering. It is because of your gifts and sacrificial giving that we're able to do the things that we do here and in our community. We always say you need a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. That's the balance, the rhythm of those who follow Jesus. And so your contributions and regular contributions make a difference to this church. If you haven't already automated your giving, please consider doing that. We can help you at the info desk after the service. Let me ask that the volunteers please come forward to receive our morning offering. Special welcome to guests who have come home for uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. It's great to see you. Hope that you feel at home and loved and that you'll come back and visit us often. Let's pray. God, we give to you this morning because we love you, and because you have given yourself to us, and in response, we give back to you. Take these gifts and use them to help people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say welcome to those who are listening online, and a special welcome to all of you this morning. Your message notes are in on your app or on the screen behind me. If you go to media, you'll find you'll find the notes there under Impact YXE, October thirteenth. Be the be the movement. So, small group participants and leaders. Your discussion guide is there as well. And if you click on the message notes, they will come up. And you can add to them, you can save them, you can share them, you can do whatever you want with them. It's great. So glad you're part of this uh, series. We're looking at our impact in the community. It's called Impact YXE. So if you're visiting with us today, we're pleased that you are here. In this series, uh, we're focusing on the, the genius rather of generosity. And last week we looked at our historic roots, not only globally but locally, how we began and how Christianity has made a, a difference and concluded that one of the brilliant things that, that Christians do is that they encourage generous living. Generous living makes the difference. And when you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, you become generous. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, you will be relieved that you are not required to do anything about what I'm going to discuss this morning. You can just sit back and, and uh, be thankful that you don't have to. Um, in fact, it may be a good reason why you won't become a Jesus follower. Uh, however, 
if you choose to participate, I can tell you from personal experience that it will improve your life. There are benefits to living generously. There's a reason why nobody's role model is Scrooge. Ebenezer was not somebody who, who you wanted to model your life out after. But this morning, if you are a Jesus follower, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Remember, generosity is what made Christianity attractive. To be a Christian is to have a positive Christian presence and encourage others to do good work in your community. So Christianity first spread because the disciples took Jesus' words seriously. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you went to church. Oh, wait a minute. It, that's how it is said. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you know so much about the Bible. Oh, wait a minute. No, it says, you will be known as my disciples if you have love one for another. Christianity was birthed, you know this, it was birthed in the oppressive Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was uh, a combination of Vegas and New Orleans and everything that was evil. It was uh, a place that Christianity did not uh, really want to thrive in. Christians were discriminated against. If you were a Christian, they would take away your job. They viewed Christians as kind of a weird sect of society in a in a society that believed in multiple gods and all kinds of philosophies, Christianity was perceived to be very narrow-minded and very judgmental because they believed in one God. And that God was Jesus Christ who died on the cross and came out of the grave alive. It was weird to the Roman society. So Christians were discriminated against and persecuted. Friday nights, instead of going to the Ryder game, where they lost by two points. Oh, what a tragedy. Instead of doing that, they would go to the Colosseum where Christians were persecuted and ultimately killed. And everybody would cheer and laugh as they had their beer and watched it all. And in that environment, the Christians were taught that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you love even your enemies. You pray for them. You show kindness towards them. The story of Pacomius in that first century was in jail. And the jails weren't like our jails where you were fed three times a day. They relied on relatives or friends to bring them food and Pacomius didn't really have many friends. But every evening, there was a group of people that brought crusts of bread and put it between the bars and kept Pacomius alive. 
Pacomius wondered who these strange people were. He noticed that they weren't exactly wealthy, they weren't wearing designer clothes, but they shared what they had, the scraps of bread that they had. When Pacomius was released from jail, he decided, I want to find out who is it that kept me alive. And he discovered it was this weird sect of people called Christians. And he himself came to believe in Christianity. You see, Christianity thrives no matter what the temperature of society is because they're generous and they're loving and they're kind. And that kind of generosity is attractive. And so 300 years later, this Roman Empire under Constantine made Christianity the official language or the, the official religion of Rome, of the Roman Empire. Why? It was because of the generous living of those who believed in Christ. If you are a Christian this morning, it means that we must live generously and invest our wealth. Jesus would, be, would say, be the movement. This movement did not localize in Jerusalem. It went from Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. And we're sitting here today because there was a movement of believers who were generous and one-third of the globe believes and identifies with Jesus Christ. God measures generosity not by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. It's not an amount. It's sacrifice. And sacrifice is when our giving impacts our lifestyle. That's how Christianity began. Now in the time of Jesus, there was a receptacle outside the temple. It was the place where people would come and drop off various monetary gifts, offerings. It was gifts for the upkeep of the temple so that the life of Judaism could survive and Christianity or uh, Judaism could survive. And worship that was practiced at that site. Now the spot became somewhat of a stage, kind of a stage for some religious leaders. It was a spectacle, in other words. It was a circus. It was kind of a show. This, this place of offering, this box where people would come. Some people would even blow a trumpet and announce how much they were putting in that receptacle bo box so that everybody could see how generous they were. And their motives were a bit off, you know, a bit off. And I'm, I, you can just imagine the priest there saying, oh, way to go, whatever, ah, oh, good guy. You know, thanking everybody for their great generosity. And Jesus wants to teach his disciples about generosity. And so he brings his disciples. He says, hey, come. We're going to watch this show. 
and they sit down in front of the temple and they're just watching this thing go down. People are coming and they're putting their offering in the box and some are blowing the trumpet and, you know, it's just a great show. So he, he sits his disciples down and says, watch this, watch it. And in Luke 21, verse 1, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. I mean, this is the circus. I think we need to hear that again, don't you? We should do that every Sunday, you know? Offering time, come with your trumpets. But this was the circus that was there at the time. They heard the temple blasts and much of, must have been impressed with the large amounts of money that was dropped into the plate. And then it says in verse 2, look at this. He also saw a poor widow put two very small copper coins. Did you hear it? Just that was it. No trumpet. Just a humble woman. And the tinkling sound of two small coins hit the plate. It was really unremarkable. So Jesus uses this opportunity to teach his disciples something. And he turns to them and says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all the others. And, well, I mean, all the disciples, they're sitting there, Jesus says this, their, their eyes are this way, and they all turn to Jesus, and it's like, hey, do you need a hearing aid? Did you not hear? Do you need some glasses? Did you not see what happened here? There, there was trumpet blasts with large amounts, and then there's this little woman coming in all of her poverty, and Jesus said, all of these people, they gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And Jesus makes the point that you haven't given sacrificially until it impacts your lifestyle. And I want us, you to see that generosity is progressive. It's progressive. It begins with the basics. Giving the first 10% of our income to God. The tithe. He says, give your tithe. If you are a believer, this is what it means. Giving regularly, giving systematically, and giving according to the level at which God has blessed us materially. And the key is the heart behind the gift. Not grudgingly, but generously and cheerfully. Knowing God owns everything in this world, and we are just his stewards. Everything that we have, beginning with who we are, our talents and gifts and abilities, the ability to earn, all that comes to us is a gift of God, and it's really God's. And we're just managers. We're managers of God's supply. 
So I, I pitched to you this morning that generosity begins where obligation or tithing ends. Generosity begins where tithing ends. Tithing is the minimum. It is that Jesus followers acknowledge that God owns it all. And when we tithe, we say we release, release the grip that money and things have on us and we recognize and we say to God tangibly that everything that we own is God's. And we give back the first tenth. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, that's Old Testament, isn't it? Like, we're in grace now. Well, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus was addressing uh, some of the Pharisees, the religious teachers, and he said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give, notice this, they give a tenth of your spices and mint and dill and cumin. They were tithing on everything that came to them religiously but he says you've neglected the more important matters of law like justice and mercy and faithfulness now here's a great opportunity for jesus to say well just focus on justice and mercy and and faithfulness and you don't have to tithe anymore but he says he says this you have you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former don't neglect the tithe but be concerned about justice and mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus says, don't neglect the tithe. And generosity is how we express our gratitude to God and faith in God's supply. Now, I believe the measure of love for Jesus is how we express tangibly, how we express our love to him through our generosity. So I want us to see that generosity is progressive. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says this. This was uh, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. They were under Roman rule, of course, and so there was harshness and poverty and lack. So he's writing to them about the church in Macedonia. And he says, in the midst of their severe trial, the Corinth church, Corinth was struggling, but they heard about the suffering of the Christians in Macedonia. And that they were in extreme poverty, but they heard about their Jewish brothers who were suffering from famine, and they wanted to give. And it says, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Amazing, isn't it? They were struggling. They were having a hard time. But they wanted to do something about others. So no one coerced them or made them feel guilty. Notice there was joy and in their extreme poverty. And when they heard of the need in Macedonia, the attitude was, it wasn't. Their attitude wasn't, oh, the church is just after my money. You heard that one? How many of you say when you enroll your kids in hockey, oh, the hockey association is just after my money? Or you go to the restaurant, oh, they're just after my money. 
You say that? But guess what? I get to stand up here and get all the stuff here and people say, oh, the church is just after your money. No. No, they're not. We do something because we love Christ and there's a benefit to society. There's a benefit to other people when we give. So out of their extreme poverty, they were overflowing with joy and, and welled up in rich generosity. For verse 3 says, I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded, I've underlined that, with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people. They made voluntary sacrifices and considered this a great privilege. And verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of the Lord of God also to us. He's saying their heart was right. Their heart was in it. They did it out of love for God. And this was the privilege. Believers who did not have much gave to other believers who had even less. It cost him something. Isn't this cool? So this morning, I want you to see that generosity is not an act. It's not blowing your trumpet. It's just a way of life. And I want to show you a generosity staircase. I want to discuss how generosity is a way of life from the Christmas story. Because after Thanksgiving, guess what? It's Christmas. So, first of all, look at the wise men. And they brought, first of all, their money. The wise men saw something in the stars. They were way in the east. And realized someone special is about to be born. And they traveled all that distance to see Jesus. And they brought some treasures to give to the, this newborn king, Jesus. They didn't know much about Judaism or the Jewish Messiah, but they saw in the heavens a revelation of a new king. And they followed that star all the way to Bethlehem because they brought them to the newborn king. And they brought valuable gifts with them. In Matthew 2, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and they worshipped. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And even though they did not know much, they knew to give their best of what they had. They were generous. And generosity begins with our money. And then you see the shepherds. The shepherds gave their time. They went to see the newborn king. The shepherds were on the hillside outside Jerusalem and they were just doing their job when a great light shone down on them and, they, and the angel said to them, there's a, a baby born, the Messiah, and this will be a sign unto you. You'll see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, manger 
They were surrounded by angels. And verse 15 says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds turned to one another and, and you know, they wanted to do a reality check. Did you really see this? Did, did, yeah, we did. These, these angels came. And it says, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they took time off work. And verse 16 says, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And they had a front row seat to the Messiah. They were there. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. So living generously, they gave their time and they saw the baby, the Messiah, and they told others about what they had experienced and what they had saw. And that's why we are also encouraging you to be involved. That's why in your app, when you go onto it, you will find ways in which you can give your time, and things that you can, you can purchase and give to our partners, and ways in which you can give in order that these organizations can do a better job. We give our treasure and we give our time. And then there's Joseph. Joseph gave his reputation. He was not asked for money, and he wasn't asked for time, but over time, you can understand, he gave both. God asked Joseph to sacrifice his reputation. Joseph and Mary were betrothed, betrothed to each other. The families both agreed on the marriage. The bride price was set. So a future bride and groom were spending time apart in preparation for the wedding, as was the custom of that day. And they were excited. And Joseph truly loved Mary. And when Joseph discovered Mary was pregnant, it must have rocked his world. What has happened to Mary? This is not the Mary I know. How did she get pregnant? Well, I know how she got pregnant, but why did she do that? So, in Jewish culture, a betrothal could only be broken by divorce or death. In the if the community decided to be strict about the laws of sexuality, they could have stoned Mary to death. But Joseph, being of upstanding character, and because he loved Mary so much, determined that he would be gracious and he would divorce Mary quietly not to bring more shame on Mary. And one night Joseph went to bed, and in his dream an angel came to him and explained the origin of the baby, and that his name should be called Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke up, notice this, Joseph was such a man of integrity, a man who understood who God was and knew the voice of God. And he was so attuned that he woke up and he said, this is God's voice. And he decided he would stick with Mary and it cost him his reputation. It cost him 
his reputation. And then there's Mary. Mary, it cost her future. Not only give up her reputation, she gave up her future. She would have had a normal teenage dream of marriage and children, but when the angel Gabriel appeared, everything changed. She had a choice. She had a choice. And the angel told her what would happen, and the future she envisioned evaporated. She knew the risks. She knew that Joseph could misunderstand, the community could misunderstand. But in verse 38 of Luke 1, she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel left her. And everything she wanted gave way to God's will. It was a high calling, a difficult calling, but it turned out to be an adventure. And some of you this morning have sensed God's call on your life. You have sensed God say, I want you to do this, but it has too, been too risky, and you're unwilling. And I would say, join the adventure. God will lead you. Do what's in your heart to do. Maybe your family wanted you in a profession that would bring them pride. And God asked you to do something else. Do something else if God has asked you to do. And Mary was willing to give up all of her future because God spoke to her. And then there was Jesus. He was asked to give his life. And he showed us what it is like to give one's whole life to God. Jesus came to live a perfect life without sin and offer him as a, himself as a sacrifice that would cover the sins of the whole world. But Mark records, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And to follow Jesus means we don't come for our own reasons. Our purpose is to serve and give our life for many people. And he entered into human history for one purpose, to make the ultimate sacrifice for his life. His life embodied a generous sacrifice. And then there's the Father. The Father, God, gave his most prized possession, precious, what father here, when your child is sick, your child's going through something difficult, wouldn't say, oh, I wish I could take that for them. It's the heart of the father. And he demonstrated the greatest example of sacrifice. The hardest thing to give away is what is most precious to you. And for some of that, that's a dream. Or it's a mate. Or it's a child. And this is the sacrifice that God made for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And you can see that generosity is a progression. It begins with our money, but it's, it ends with giving our very life. And each character gave as an act of worship. In every case, Generosity began with God, and God invites every last one of us 
into this kind of life, into deeper levels of generosity with a promise. And here's the promise. And it's a great promise. Paul records it in Corinthians 9, verse, beginning at verse 6. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Every farmer knows this. Every gardener knows this. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And our response comes with a promise. And here's the promise. God will take care of you. Verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He invites us into this adventure. He wants us to give us far more than most of us are ready or willing to receive. Boy, we are well schooled in Canadian culture, in self-sufficiency, and fierce independence. And God is inviting us to a whole different way of life. And here's the promise. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need. Now notice this. Not just, you know, in some things and in some times and maybe sometime you'll have all that you need. It, no, it, it's in all things at all times. Having all that you need. This is a promise. Why? So you will abound in every good work. Friends, God invites us and gives us what we need and more than we need so that we can be a blessing. So that like Pacomius, we see the goodness of God in those who are Jesus' followers. That's the reason we are on this planet. Could it be the reason that you struggle and are in financial bondage is that you have neglected God's financial plan for your life and you're missing out on God's supply? I've talked to lots of people who, who are in the bondage of debt. I read, I read lots of articles, Financial Times and other places, about Canadians who are getting further and further and further in debt. They're in worse shape this year than last year. Because we don't really connect the dots that God gives us finances to manage and we're to be good managers. When was the last time you prayed, God, should I spend on this? Because really, you're spending God's money. And he says, if you follow my plan, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on, he says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. And here's one of the great purposes that we have so much wealth it is to scatter 
to the poor. One year I did a, a Bible reading through the whole Bible to see what, what God's priority was. And you know what I concluded? God's favorite, God has a favorite. God's favorite is the poor. He said, if you, if you, you, if you give to the poor, you're lending to me, God says. And all through Scripture, there's a promise that if you look after the poor, God will look after you. God's favorite is the, the poor. And he says, so, he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. And so the writer connects our giving with our righteousness so I want to end with this question. Are you ready for this question? You don't have to answer out loud. Just, you know, in your own mind. Here's the question. Do you want to look after yourself? Or would you rather have God look out for you? Do you want to look after yourself? Or do you want to look God, let God look after you? Friends, I would rather have God look after me than I, I know what I do when I look after myself. So quickly, generosity begins with God. James said, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chooses he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind, the kind of first fruits of all created. Boy, we ought to be a gift to the world by reflecting the nature of God. That's what Jesus' followers do. And secondly, our generosity is a visible expression of our love of God. And thirdly, Generous living begins with our money and possessions, but applies to every area of our life. This means true generosity does not stop with our possessions, but it begins with them. That's why we've created this app. You can go to it. Go to the home page and, and impact YXE, and you'll find that you can give food, you can give gifts, you can give time. It's all there. God invites us in, and he says, you can have an impact on your community if you live generously. And friends, we have a legacy here, a legacy of blessing. All that we enjoy here at this church is because people believed in sacrifice. And we're sitting here today in a comfortable pew because somebody, somebody sacrificed. Would you stand with me for prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have life. 
Thank you that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and willingly gave up. Thank you for those who gave their lives for the sake of Christ so that we could know eternal life and joy and peace, peace with God and peace with ourselves. We pray that something that we've reflected on today would cause us to want to joyfully expend our life for others and invest in people and therefore invest in eternity. Thank you for this weekend that we get to celebrate Thanksgiving. We are thankful for all that you have given us. And we ask that you would go with us and you would make us very attractive to those on the outside of this building. May we be the hands and feet and heart and mouth of Christ to everybody we meet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something that has stirred you this morning. You'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody. There'll be people available. If you want to talk to some of our partners, they'll be in the back. Pick up a box for Christmas. God bless you as you go.